Hey, Dale Dixon here, host of The Game Changers with Jason Jennings. Jason's on the road, and he wants to revisit one of his favorite episodes of the past. If you've heard it before, it's always worth a reminder. If not, we trust it will be a game changer for you, just like it's been for so many thousands of listeners. You're listening to The Game Changers with Jason Jennings. Leadership lessons in speed, productivity, growth, innovation, and reinvention. Now, here's worldwide best-selling author and speaker, Jason Jennings, and your host, Dale Dixon. Everyone is the owner. Hi, Dale Dixon here. Welcome to The Game Changers with Jason Jennings. And Jason, once again, we're going to dive right into this. So good to hear your voice today. Uh, it's, it's great to be back with you. Now, I have to tell you a story. I used to be a public information officer in a mayor's office. And as I listened to that mayor talk to city staff, he would always say, you are the mayor of the town. As you work with people, people come in to do city business. They're not looking at me. They're not thinking of me. They're looking at you and expecting them, expecting you, the city employee, to help them. You are the mayor in that case. You represent the city. And uh, that's what our topic is today, really, making sure that the employee feels like and is the, emphasis on the, the owner. So what are some of the unique ways that you have seen companies that you've researched create an owner mentality? Well, let me tell, tell you where we, uh, by, by the way, I want to meet that mayor sometime because I'm, I'm sure that mayor was a very good mayor. I, there, there's a great story there. I mean, there really is. And, and just think of the repercussions if, uh, if either elected officials, I mean, could get their heads around that. Um, so while we were doing the research, uh, for uh, Think Big, Act Small, uh, we landed on a company called Coke Industries, K-O-C-H. And Coke Industries is, uh, some years, the largest privately uh, held company in the world, and some years it's number two behind cargo. But they do about $130 uh, billion a year in revenues. They've got about 100,000 employees, and they're involved in several different hundred types of business activities. Now, I know when some people hear the name Coke Industries, they think of Charles Coke, uh, who is the uh, leader of the company, and uh, and some alarm bells ring uh, because they know that he is uh, uh, he has funded uh, a lot of right wing uh, political causes, and, and and politics can be very polarizing. And what I would say uh, is this, and I'm, I'm even sorry that I feel the need to offer an apology. Um, but if at the end of our research, we ended up with a list of companies and we said, well, we're not going to write about that company because his political views don't agree with mine. I don't think I would be a very good researcher. And anybody who has built a company in 40 years up to the number one or two uh, privately held company in the world, I think is worthy of, of, of a lot of study. Uh, it turns out getting in was very difficult. Charles Koch had never met with a journalist uh, un, until this point in time. And uh, we're dogged, we're determined, I mean, you know, give us a bone, we're going to get in. Finally, we broke the doors down. And so what I was given was a week at Coke Industries. So I had four days to go every place, talk to anyone, learn about the business. And then the fifth day, I was going to be with Charles Koch. And, you know, one of the world's ten wealthiest men. I mean, this is he's rather august achievements during, during his career, despite maybe what our political differences might be. And so I'm sitting down with him in his office for the first time, and, and after we get through a couple of minutes of nice, niceties and pleasantries, he said, well, uh, Mr. Jennings, that's what he always called me, Mr. Jennings, uh, what, what do you think about our little company? 
And I said, well, let me tell you what I think. I, 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 I think there's something magical here. Uh, he said, there is. He said, have you figured out the magic? And I said, no. I said, in fact, every night this week, I've laid in my bed uh, at the Hyatt Regency on the Arkansan River trying to figure out what the magic is that's happening here. There is definitely magic here, and I don't know what it is. I said, so tell me, what is the magic? And he looked at me and he said, well, uh, the difference, Mr. Jennings, is that here everyone thinks and acts like an owner. Now, you have to understand, Dale, I was kind of taken aback uh, because uh, I don't believe you can have an organization of 100,000 people and have 100,000 people's heads around any initiative or around anything. But he had made a pretty powerful statement. Everybody here thinks and acts like the owner. And I said, well, I, I, I hate to sit here and disagree with you, uh, but I don't believe that. Uh, I, I don't believe you can get 100,000 people on any course of action, much less thinking and acting like an owner. And he said, well, let me modify that statement. Uh, he said, here, 99.9% .9 of all people think and act like an owner. And he said, the other one-tenth of 1% 1 won't be here next month, so they really don't matter. And I said, well, I, again, I hate to disagree with you, but I, I don't believe you. I, I don't believe you can get 99.9% .9 of all people thinking and acting like the owner. And he said, well, it's true. We do. And he said, not only does everyone here think and act like the owner, he said the other thing is that getting everyone to think and act like the owner is the simplest and most easy thing that you'll ever do. And I said, well, again, if, if it's a simple and easy, why doesn't everybody do it? And he said, look, over the years, we've invited scores of other companies. They want to come in. They want to study our productivity. They want to study our growth. They want to study the returns, I mean, we've generated for these 40 years. And he said, they come in. We explain it to them. We show them. And they think we must have some secrets, you know, hidden, I mean, in a dark room someplace that they didn't get to see. He said, Jason, let me tell you that thinking and acting like an owner and getting everyone to think and act like an owner is the easiest thing to do. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'm not from Missouri, but I'll tell you what, show me, because I don't believe it. And he looked at me and he said, uh, Jason, do you like sports? And I said, I love sports. He said, what sports do you like? I said, well, I love football. I mean, I love baseball. I love basketball. I like golfing. He said, you like basketball? And I said, yes. And he said, how would you like to go to a basketball game with me tonight? And I said, sure, who's playing? He said, well, I'll tell you what. He said, we're in the arena right now. There are 15,000 fans who are gathered in this arena, and we're going to see the two best basketball teams in the world play. And I said, well, who are they? What are you, what are you talking about? He said, hold on. There's the opening tip-off. He said, one team gets the ball. He goes down. He takes a long shot. He makes it. I said, well, well, well who's playing? Uh, he said, hold on. The other, ball's bringing the, uh, the other team's bringing the ball uh, in from out of bounds. They're going down. I said, well, does he make the shot? He said, it doesn't matter. And I said, what do you mean it doesn't matter? He said, well, this is going to be a different kind of basketball game. We're going to have 15,000 people sitting in an arena watching the two best basketball teams in the world play basketball, but no score is going to be kept. And I said, what do you mean no score is going to be kept? He said, we're not going to keep score. I said, well, that would suck. I mean, that would be like watching paint dry. Who in the hell would want to watch a basketball game where no score is kept? And he looked at me, and he broke into a broad grin, and he said, precisely. He said, you see, have you ever wondered, Jason, why people are sports crazy in America. I mean, kids, soccer, junior high sports, high school sports, college sports. I mean, motocross, golf, pool, swimming, ballroom, dancing, basketball, football, baseball. They're sports crazed. He said, you know why that is? 
And I said, why? He said, because you see in life, in business, they don't get a score. And so the only score they can get is living vicariously through others. He said, if you want everybody to think and act like an owner, the only way you can make that happen is everybody has to understand how what they do creates economic value. And he said, mind you, Mr. Jennings, I didn't tell you thinking and acting like an owner. Thinking and acting like an owner is stupid. When you think and act like an owner, it means you've got some vested interest. It means you maybe have some skin in the game, but you're only partially in if you're an owner. He said, when you're the owner, you've got all the skin in the game. When you're the owner, you are totally committed. And he said, the only way you can create a culture where everyone thinks and acts like the owner is they have to understand that every, how, what they do creates economic value. I mean, for customers, for the shareholder, and for themselves. I said, well, how in the world can you take any job and, I mean, make certain that the person knows how they create economic value? And he looked at me and said something very profound. He said, if you have a job in a company, he said, pick one, financial analyst, salesperson, secretary, assistant, receptionist. He said, pick any job title. He said, if you can't figure out how that person creates economic value, then that job is not worth having in the company. The only way you can fully engage people, fully engage the spirits of people, I mean, is to help them understand how what they do creates economic value, how it's measured, how they can improve it. And he said, Mr. Jennings, he said, are you a competitor? And I said, it's a character fault. I mean, if I'm golfing, I got to win. If I'm playing, you know, uh, with a bunch of 40 and 50-year-old guys in, in the gym, basketball on Thursday nights, we got to win. I said, of course, I'm a competitor. And he said, you know what? He said, that's the human spirit. He said, the human spirit is to want to do better, is to want to improve. He said, but most jobs don't offer that to people. It's just not offered. And he said, when you teach people how what they do creates value, how it can be measured, how it is measured, and how they can improve the performance, he said, stand back, Katie, bar the door, because you will see more value created than you ever dreamt possible in a lifetime. So, Dale, at the end of the day, if you want people to think and act like an owner, they truly have to understand how what they do creates value, how it's measured, and how they can improve it. And, when, and, and that is true of all great organizations. And then the other part of that equation is this, and Coke Industries and other great companies do this all the time. You know, if, you're, if you know how what you do creates value, if you know it's measured, if you know how to improve it, then you have to be able to share in the spoils. And that is true of the compensation programs of great companies. People are compensated for the economic value they create. And when you think about what we're seeing in recent weeks uh, with people marching in the streets wanting more wages, uh, if, if more companies would take this approach to instituting really that feeling that they the employees are the owners, it would go a long ways. But in the book, and we've got just about three minutes left to talk through this, but in the, in the book you say that it's important to institutionalize an appetite for knowledge to help guide this process of making employee, employees feel as though they are the owner. 
So when we talk about institutionalizing an appetite for knowledge, what kind of knowledge are you talking about and how do you get there so it's institutionalized, the, ap- the appetite part? Um, well, I mean, uh, the, the first part is w- when you know how what you do creates economic value, you know it's measured and you know you're going to be compensated commensurate with the economic value you create. That goes a long way toward turning you into uh, a, a lifelong learner. And in Coke Enterprises uh, or Coke Industries, what they do is people have the ability to make decisions commensurate with the knowledge they have. And and during that visit to Coke Industries, that first of a number of visits, Charles Coke introduced me to a guy he calls Billion Dollar Brad. And, and, and Billion Dollar Brad was like 26 or 27 years of age. And he took me down to his cubicle and, uh, and Billion Dollar Brad came, stood up and it was red-faced. And he said, Charles, don't call me Billion Dollar Brad. And he said, well, that's what you are. You're our Billion Dollar Brad. And I said, well, why is he Billion Dollar Brad? And he said, because he's made a couple of billion-dollar decisions. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, time out. Why would you give a 27-year-old the ability to make billion-dollar decisions? And Charles said not only did he make billion-dollar decisions, but he made incredible billion-dollar decisions. And so we chatted a while as we were walking back to the elevators. I said, now, why in the world would you allow a 27-year-old person to make billion-dollar decisions? And he looked at me and he said, because he has the knowledge. He has more knowledge and is better prepared to make the decision uh, than anybody else in an executive office. And so decision rights come with knowledge. And so how do you institutionalize a quest for knowledge? You build an environment where decision rights come with knowledge and the, more, the people who have the most amount of knowledge get to make the decisions. They have the decision rights. And then, of course, their income is going to be commensurate with the decisions they make. So uh, decision rights are granted alongside the knowledge that somebody possesses. And I guarantee a billion-dollar Brad is feeling a lot like the owner when he's doing that kind of work. Yeah, it's pretty magical when you get inside an organization, Dale, and, uh, and, and you watch everyone thinking and acting like the owner. And so my advice to everyone listening today is this. Don't make a mistake and ever misquote me. We did not talk today about thinking and acting like an owner. An owner is somewhat committed. The challenge is to get everyone to think and act like the owner. When that happens, that's when magic takes place. And I've got to go back to last week's podcast when we talked about the magical one question that every business owner has to ask, and that is, what is the good business reason for doing this? Part of this process, I assume, means instilling that question in everybody's mind. Uh, so you I get to the good decisions. Uh, I would agree with you. So for those people who didn't listen to last week's episode, go back and listen to it because it's, it is the magical question. What's the good business reason for doing this? And that's a question that's got to be asked uh, of, of, of every decision you're about to make. And, and that is a question that the owner would ask of everything. I mean, do I need to buy these 10 reams of paper? Do I need to hire this person? Do we need to expand into this geographic area? I mean, do we need to buy? How much inventory do we need to buy? That's all driven by what's the good business reason for doing this. 
Okay. Well, we are out of time for this episode, but you touched on a couple points that we're going to come back and revisit at a later podcast because we you, you just briefly touched on the, the the idea that they need to be rewarded for success. The owners, in this case, need to be rewarded for success. We're going to touch on that in a later podcast, so folks Great. are going to want to tune in for that. You've been listening to The Game Changers with Jason Jennings. You can ask Jason a question to be answered on the podcast. All you have to do is send an email, questions at at jason-jennings.com. It's just like the website, but it's questions at jason-jennings.com. Send us your question. Uh, we'll definitely put it in uh, in the queue for to be answered by Jason on a later edition of The Game Changers. You can pick up the most recent book, The Reinventors. It's a New York Times bestseller. It's on the shelf now. You can pick it up at Amazon and also check out Jason's other bestsellers as well. Jason, thanks so much. We'll talk to you next week. Hi, Dale. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks. It's always great. You've been listening to The Game Changers, leadership lessons in speed, productivity, growth, innovation, and reinvention with business thought leader, best-selling author, and keynote speaker, Jason Jennings. Read Jason's most recent New York Times bestseller, The Reinventors, and visit his website at jason-jennings.com.